Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favor. Favorite listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office. It's Pastor Jonathan Mason with you, and I just want to share with you that I'm still on a spiritual high from service today. We preached from Psalm 103, and it's ironic because our first guest today is an attorney, but the title of my message was Establishing a Case to Give God Praise. Establishing a Case to give God praise. Listen, you know when you go in the courtroom, you want a good lawyer to be able to establish a case for your innocence. And today we just had an outstanding time in worship. When you get a chance, read Psalms 103, where David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Don't forget your benefits. All right, I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to preach. We're here to have a conversation today, and I'm glad you're here with me in the pastor's office. Listen, Monday, we had yet another incident gun violence here in the city of Philadelphia. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm at the point now where it's just, I don't want us to become used to all of this gun violence. I don't want this to become our norm. I want us to continue to raise the banner to say that we can end this gun violence. In our city, we are right now on record pace in the city of Philadelphia to have more deaths from gun violence in 2022 than we've ever had before. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. We were out on the parkway on Monday, and two officers were shot. Okay. Now we have a mayor that's been in office. His term expires or ends in January of 2024. This mayor has guided us through some very challenging times. He's guided us through economic issues, guided us through a two and a half year pandemic and now is faced with the reality that the violence on our streets is not getting better today, but it's, it's getting worse. And when he was questioned outside of the hospital after visiting two officers, he made a statement that basically, and I'll, I'll paraphrase, I'll sure enough be glad when I'm no longer mayor. I sure enough be glad when, when I can be happy again. Well, those of us that have sat in seats of leadership, and I always say not leadership, but servant leadership, recognize that our words have meaning and our words have power and our words strike chords with those that we have been charged to represent. There was a stream of response to the comments made by the mayor. I want to talk about that today in our first segment. So I want to invite into the pastor's office for his second visit, council member at large, Derek Green. Council member Green, come on into the pastor's office and have a seat. Well, Pastor Mason, it's a pleasure to be with you 
um, once again. And as I was listening to your opening, and it's, it's always good to preach. I know you said you weren't going to do that as you were getting started, but when you were and as an attorney, but also more importantly, a man of faith myself. And when you're talking making the case, making the case for our faith, yes, sir. that's something that's so important because as you stated, we have gone through and are still we're still trying to get to the remnants of this global pandemic. Um, but the case has already been made because of what we've gone through. And when we think about what we, especially as African Americans, have gone through, and we have come a long way, but it's our faith that keeps us going that has allowed us to get here, especially when we think about um, we were celebrating July 4th, earlier this week, and that was the first time we've been able to come together in person for a Welcome America event. And it's unfortunate that we did have that tragic shooting um, that occurred and two officers were shot. Um, They're doing well and doing better, Um, one from Philadelphia and one from Montgomery County. But also, we have to remember just a few weeks before that, we celebrated Juneteenth, um, which is also something new for us in this country because of the challenges that we have gone through as African Americans. Right. So it's our faith that keeps us going, um, and it's that case has been made, and that concern that I had is that, as you said, we can't become numb to the level of violence in our city. And it's not just here in the city of Philadelphia, it's around the country. And we're all exhausted. We're all frustrated by this level of violence, especially having this type of violence on July 4th. But going back to what you stated and what we believe as believers, it's our faith that keeps us going. And we need to have leadership that continues to let us understand and keep pushing and encouraging us going forward. Uh, And so that's the concern I had when that statement was made um, by the mayor about ready to being out of office. You, as, as a pastor, you would not want to have a situation where if you were not in service one Sunday because you're on vacation or taking some time, which all of us need to do as humans, an associate pastor made a statement to that effect, uh, well, it is what it is, and I'll be happy when I'm no longer doing this. We need to have leadership going forward. All right, all right. And you know what? I understand your point. Let's let's dig into that a little bit because you you, you kind of came out pretty hard on the mayor. And, and you basically, well, you pretty much told him, you know what, if you want to be out, be out now. And so here's my question on that, Council Member at Large Green. You know, even Jesus— when he was in the garden before they came and arrested him, he had a moment where he began to, to weep. It says, he, it says the tears were as of blood. Even Jesus, when he was on the cross, said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken, forsaken me? me? Okay. The, the mayor, the mayor is human. The mayor is human. And, and I guess when I heard the statement, Having been one that's been in servant leadership for a long time, uh, anybody who's listened to the show knows I was international president of Phi Beta Sigma, 150,000 member organization uh-huh. for four years. And I can tell you, council member at large green, in the last six months of my term, uh, having, having fought the fight to get to the presidency and then being presidency and uh-huh. then being responsible for leading that effort for all of those years, at six months, Man, let me tell you something. I had some moments where I was you like, you know moments. what? <laughs> I was ready to but, go. But I, I understand. I'm, and you're a member of Phi Beta Sigma. I'm a member of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. And I know that your your sisters, Zeta Phi Beta, will be having their boule in just here two in weeks. Philadelphia yes, in a sir. few weeks. And so I, I understand the issue and concept of servant leadership. And yes, it is a heavy burden. But at the same time, as 
the national president of Phi Beta Sigma, even though you had that, those moments and you may have had some conversations with your you know, other fraternity brothers, maybe some of your brothers from your chapter saying, wow, this is a, a heavy lift and having burden. But at the same point, even having those moments of real challenge and frustration and you even question yourself, why did I step up to do this? Mm-hmm. And we're all human. That's right. But even in those moments, you did not communicate that to your entire membership that I'm ready to go. All right, but let's make the case for a moment of, of humanity, a, a moment. And, and again, I just want to understand where you're coming from. And, and it wasn't just you, uh, Councilmember Gim, Councilmember Dome. Uh, I mean, there were several who had some fairly hard things to say. My great sorority sister, Councilmember at large, uh, Catherine Gilmore Richardson, she basically said, either you in or you out. Right. But is there no room for just a moment of humanity after he's seen so many of his officers shot down in the line of duty, after he's seen so many of his constituents killed on these street corners? Maybe it all just converged at that corner on the, at the hospital and he just had a moment. Uh, and, I, and that's why when he made his statement afterwards about that moment, uh, I'm glad he made those statements. But. You know, what I articulated is also based on the fact that, you know, many of us have been seeing, even prior to this tragic incident on July 4th, in reference to the actions of uh, the administration. It's one thing, you know, the mayor has, and, and many people have said this, have said to me personally, I've heard it from a number of different constituents, citizens, I've heard it from even those outside the city of Philadelphia who've asked me questions, and I'm involved in a number of different national organizations where I serve in leadership capacities, and people have asked me, what's going on in Philadelphia? What's going on with your mayor? And I think it's, it's more than just this one statement. I think it's a culmination of things that have led up to this statement. Uh, I hope that coming out of this, there's been a real reflective perspective in reference to moving forward, and now providing leadership going forward in reference to what's going on with our city because that's what we're that's what the citizen is looking for when people choose to run for office they choose to be servant leaders and when they make that decision people are looking to their leadership to lead and you look through history and you look through even right now what's going on in ukraine you know wasn't that long ago People were looking at Vladimir Zelensky as the president of Ukraine and say, this guy is an entertainer. Why is he even in this role? But when his sovereign nation was attacked, he stepped up to provide leadership for his citizens. Because that's what happens when leaders do those things in times of crisis. And so my point is if you are really unhappy, and I hate to see anyone unhappy, and he went through a recitation of, I hate it when July 4th comes, I hate when the DNC convention came, I hate it when the NFL draft came to Philadelphia, and you know I'll be happy when I'm ready to go. If that's your position, then that's why I made my statement. You're making a case for rising to the moment, and I, and I understand that. You're listening to Philly's Favor 100.7 FM, 99.5 HD3. We're here in the pastor's office talking to council member at large, Derek Green. And again, we really appreciate your time, council member at large, Green. Let me ask you this question. Uh, as we look at the continued rise in violence, uh, you know, in your mind, has the administration's response not been as robust as you would like it to be? It has not taken on the sense of urgency that I think that this moment requires. And when we talk about um, the issues of gun violence, and we're now at a level that is possibly could surpass last year's record of 562 homicides in the city of Philadelphia, um, and my concern is that when people have asked questions and when we had the, you know, the shooting that occurred on South Street and some of the statements that we've heard from the administration is that, you know, well, because of the Second Amendment, there's certain things we can't do. Because of preemption in Harrisburg, there's things that we can't do. Well, we had 
a challenging interpretation of the Second Amendment for a number of years. During the Rendell administration, we had a record number of homicides. Uh, we've had record number of homicides even um, after that. So the, the issues have been persistent in reference to the Second Amendment. The issues in reference to um, the control of the General Assembly being in, a, in the Republican Party have been consistent, but we've still been able to do things under various administrations to address the issues of gun violence, from the ideas that we've had through street administration and another administration, you know, safe streets, focused deterrence, other type of ideas to really grapple this issue. And so we cannot give up. We've got to keep looking at new ideas. Uh, for example, uh, in our last session of council, I introduced a, uh, a bill regarding body armor, because although we've been preempted on other ideas we've had to address violence. My concern is that we've had an increase in mass shootings. A lot of these mass shooters are wearing body armor, which provide the ability for our police officers not to be able to address the issue appropriately. So saying to manufacturers that if you're going to sell body armor, you've got to register that information with the city of Philadelphia. And if you're an owner of body armor, you also have to register that with the city of Philadelphia. Because to me, those who purchase body armor are more likely than not to have high magazine weapons and other things. And although we can't register that type of information, maybe this is a way of doing that through another way, being creative and looking at body armor. But we can't give up. We've got to keep looking at new ideas, new concepts to make our citizens safe. You know, and that's, and that's, that's really my belief is that the ideas have to come to the table. You know, I've spoken to many people on my show. I've had people go from the full spectrum on why we're dealing with what we're dealing with. Uh, you know, I've had people to say uh, Commissioner Outlaw is is in over her head. I've had people to say that D.A. Krasner is too far to the left and he's not prosecuting the way that he should prosecute. I don't find agreement with those positions. But one that I have uh, researched and talked about on the show is we've got less than 7,000 police officers in the city of Philadelphia. Less than 7,000 police officers for 1.6 million people. And actually, it's even less than that. And one of the things that I, once again, creating different ideas and looking at different concepts. I'm president of Democratic Initial Officials at a national level. I'm also on the executive committee of the National League of Cities. So when Commissioner Atlaw testified during our budget hearings, um, one of the things she talked about is that our number of officers on duty is significantly lower. We've budgeted for over 6,300 officers, but we only have 5,900 5, officers on duty. So what I said, well, let me put together a public safety agenda uh, that had two types, two bills are part of that agenda. One, to address the residency issue, and I'm glad the mayor followed my lead and went to the Civil Service Commission to address that, but also looking at hiring bonuses. Cities like Baltimore, Newark, Seattle are using hiring bonuses as a way to recruit additional officers to their police department, officers that look like the citizens in the city of Philadelphia. That goes back to my point of being creative and using new ideas, new concepts to address these issues in our city. Um, cities across, and I talk to my colleagues across the country, many cities are dealing with, the same, with this issue of an increase in gun violence. So let's look at some of the ideas that other cities are using. Let's not try to reinvent the wheel and be creative. But we have to continue to push forward. We have to continue to fight for new ideas and address these issues. Because as I said a few moments ago, we've had high numbers of gun violence in the past, and we were able to get through that issue at that time. And I believe we can if we continue to push forward collectively to address this issue. How do we communicate to the mayor uh, and to other members of the council? Uh, you said it earlier, and I'll repeat it here, the sense of urgency that the moment is now uh, for us to execute any and all positive ideas that we can bring to the table. Uh, how do we communicate that sense of urgency? And then how do we 
because uh, everything requires resources. You know, it is the funding there to support the ideas that pass through uh, the council, pass through the mayor's desk. You know, is the funding there uh, to really help us have a robust defense against this violence that's on our streets right now? Well, last year in the budget process, we allocated a significant amount of additional dollars, new money, for grassroots, community-based organizations that can do violence interruption in a way that had been unprecedented. And we did that because of the issues that we saw in trying to address the gun violence issue. In this year's budget, we provide additional dollars in reference to a number of different public safety measures using the money we received from the American Rescue Plan, which over the past two years was approximately $1.4 billion. There's been, you know, Councils and body has requested for a state of emergency on these issues. You mentioned your sorority sister, Catherine Gilmore Richardson. She has introduced legislation that's been consistent about curfews and other ideas. So council has been doing these ideas and suggestions. But ultimately, when you have a chief executive, CEO, a mayor, that Vision and push also comes from the top, and we can't just say because of this issue, the Second Amendment, or preemption at the state level that we can't come up with new ideas. We've got to keep pushing at how we work collectively with all these ideas and perspectives, and I hope and I will continue to work with the mayor, even though I made the statement I made. I'm glad he made the clarification, and I'm always going to be willing to work because we've got to all work together to address the issue. Now, the mayor's term expires uh, January of 2024. Uh, while no one has yet announced uh, their candidacy for mayor uh, to succeed Mayor Kenny, uh, you are certainly being talked about and touted as one of those potential candidates. I said this to, uh, actually, I said it to the mayor when he was going through his nationwide search for the new health commissioner. I said, did you want to make any news on our show today? Uh, so I will ask you, do you want to make any news in the pastor's office this afternoon relative to your thoughts regarding the position of mayor of Philadelphia? Well, I'm always willing to be with you to share the good news, especially in the pastor's office. That's always the best news you can always give, um, the good news of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In reference to your question, I people have been reaching out to me for a number of years about my future and my next steps. I will be making uh, decisions in that regard in the coming weeks. I look forward to continuing to provide ideas and continue to be a servant leader for the citizens in the city of Philadelphia. My goal and hope is that that servant leadership will be in an executive capacity and not a legislative capacity. Philly's favorite listeners, did you hear that? All right, so council member at large, Derek Green, we are going to definitely be inviting you back into the pastor's office over the next several months because I think I heard what I heard, and we'll be looking forward to you making some decisions relative to your future. But until that time, let me again thank you for the work that you're doing on behalf of the citizens of Philadelphia. Continue to be that voice within council and within our community that is telling everyone we can do better and we can do more. And as I say to all of our elected officials, if there's ever any time where these airwaves can be a blessing to you as you move your mission forward, we're right here for you, my brother. Well, Pastor Mason, thank you for the opportunity to be on with you and your listeners. And thank you for providing this space in the pastor's office to talk about these important issues uh, dealing with the civics and affairs of our great city, but doing it from a faith-based perspective because that's so important, especially in these troubling times. Council Member Green, thank you again, sir, and we'll be right back after these commercial messages. Philly's favorite listeners, welcome back to the pastor's office, and I want to again Thank Council Member at Large Derek Green for being with us during our first segment. I really appreciate his time. And I always say this I'm thankful for any of our elected officials. Uh, they give up their time to talk to you, to share information with you, because an informed constituent base 
is a constituent base that's going to make the right decisions come election day. All right. So listen, last Monday, July 4th, or this past Monday, uh, we had another mass shooting in Illinois. Prior to that, and we talked about this with Congressman Al Green a few weeks ago, we had a mass shooting in Uvalde, Texas. And then, of course, before Uvalde, Texas, just a little more than 10 or a little less than 10 days prior to, we had a mass shooting in Buffalo. Here's a fact that some of you may or may not believe, but it's true. We've had more mass shootings in the United States in 2022 than days in the year. Let me say that again so that you get that in every fiber of your being. We've had more mass shootings in 2022 than days in the year. A lot of our federal officials are patting themselves on the back right now because they did pass the first gun legislation in years. But when we really look at that gun legislation, I'm sure it will help, but it is not the panacea. It is not the final answer. If it was, then then we wouldn't have had the issues we had on July the 4th. And in subsequent days, hear me when I say this. I applaud our elected leaders for coming up with ideas. Legislation and more legislation and more legislation. All ideas do help, and they need to be brought to the table at this point in time. No question about it. But what about the role of parents? What about the roles of our schools in developing the minds and the character and the intellect of the young men and women that will make up our next generation of leaders? Let's talk about that a little bit here in this final segment of our show today. Many of you remember that in 2012, there was a shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School. How how could you forget? At Sandy Hook, there were 20 young people that were killed during that mass shooting. Six teachers killed during that mass shooting. One of the young men that was killed was a six-year-old boy full of life, energy, and enthusiasm. His name was Jesse Lewis. As a matter of fact, Jesse was one of the heroes of the day. He told his classmates to run for cover, run, run for cover while the gunman reloaded and then eventually shot him. You know, listeners, it's hard to even say these things. It was hard a few weeks ago when we were talking about Uvalde. It was hard when we were talking about Buffalo. It's hard for these words to come out of our mouth because as much as I preach about it, as much as I I talk about, you know, and teach about life lessons, sometimes I just, it's hard to fathom man's inhumanity to man. Now, I want to welcome into the pastor's office the mother of that young man, Jesse. I want to welcome in Miss Scarlett Lewis. Miss Lewis, come on into the pastor's office. How are you this afternoon? I'm good. Thank you, Pastor Mason. It's nice to be here with you. Well, listen, I, I want to thank you for giving us your time. And ma'am, I, I have two sons. Uh, Jackson's 11 and Jonathan is 15. I tell everybody, 
Uh, one is my heart and the other is my soul. And I never mm-hmm. tell which one is which because I don't want anyone, mm-hmm. either one of them to ever think they're not as close to their dad as the other is. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I had a talk with Jackson last night and um, I was asking him about he, he had gotten in trouble because uh, he had he was looking at some things on his iPad that he shouldn't have been looking at. And I took his iPad away from him and I punished him. And, and then I brought him in. Uh, it's about four or five days after I punished him. And I said to him, uh, Ms. Lewis, I said, I said, let's have a real talk here. I said, there's a lot going on out in the Internet. There's a lot going on on these social media platforms. I said, I would not want to ever find out that there was somebody out there that was trying to take advantage of my child. Because if I found it out, your dad wouldn't be here in the house with you anymore. Your dad would be in jail. And, and, and he looked at me with this look. But, ma'am, there's something about the love that a parent has for their child. Mm, so there, true. There's no other love like it. There no. really is no other love like it. And so my heart goes out to you. And, and, and I certainly continue to pray for you because, let me tell you something, this is something that will never leave you. But what I admire about you is that you are efforting to make life better for others as a result of what happened to Jesse. You've got a different idea than a lot of our legislators. And so I wanted you to come on today and talk to us a little bit about how we can end these mass shootings that are just tearing up our communities. I know that was a long intro, and this is about you. Let me be quiet. Talk to us a little bit. Tell us about what you believe will help the situation. Well, Pastor Mason, I feel the exact same way about my two boys that you feel about yours. And when my youngest, Jesse, was murdered— um, by the way, if you know, you talked about responsibility. Can you imagine dropping your child off at school in the morning? They're supposed to be there by law. Mm. And then, as his dad says, dropping him off with a book bag, picking him up in a body bag. My God. And there's no responsibility taken. No one, there's not even an apology because an apology would denote responsibility. It is the most, is the craziest thing, right? That it's almost like barely a shrug of shoulders that we received as parents. It's, it's mind blowing. And so I, I went home without my son and I found a message that he had written on our kitchen chalkboard shortly before he died. He had written three words. Nurturing, healing, love. Uh, they, they were phonetically spelled because he was in first grade and just learning how to write. Hmm. But I knew immediately that if the shooter, who was a former recent graduate of the Newtown school system, who chose to go back to the elementary school that he attended, if he had been able to give and receive nurturing, healing love, that the tragedy would never have happened. I I felt like that was a message from Jesse. To me, it seems so simple, but of course, simple isn't always easy. And then I stepped back, Pastor Mason, to watch how other people were reacting. And there was a lot of anger. There was a lot of blame and finger-pointing. And there was a, a lot of pressure to join the anti-gun movement. And I just thought about the fact that, well, it's, it's pretty obvious what we had been doing up until that point wasn't working. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go down a road that we have already been going down because it doesn't work. I, I also had to think about, you know, my son's dead how do I want to live the rest of my life? Am I going to live it in anger? Do I want to live, uh, you know, being against something? Obviously, I knew that I had to spend the rest of my life making sure that this didn't happen to other parents because it didn't have to because it was preventable. And I just had to figure out how do I want to live my life? I didn't want to live it 
fighting against something. I wanted to be for something. And I thought about Jesse's message. What is the most powerful thing in the universe that connects us all as human beings? You know, there was so much polarization going on in 2012. And it was all, it was mostly surrounding guns. Of course, that's just grown in the last 10 years. But I thought, how are we connected? What, what, what was lacking that caused, that was a big cause of this tragedy that could have been corrected? And I realized that it, it all had to do with Jesse's message of nurturing, healing, love. People that can give and receive nurturing, healing, love, people that can cope with difficulty, because by the way, we're all the same in the want and need to love and be loved. We have to have that. However, we all as human beings also feel pain. We do. We get our feelings hurt. We don't want to get our feelings hurt. Nobody does. Of course, we do everything in our power not to uh, allow hurt to come to our kids, but it happens. And we know it's going to happen with our kids. And so it's our responsibility to give them the essential life skills that they need to deal with that pain, whatever form it comes in, and to be able to use it and grow from it and be strengthened by it. So I, I really took a, a good look at the root cause of why a young man would feel, who, by the way, wasn't I mean, you know, you can call him evil. You can say he's the bad guy. He absolutely is responsible for one of the most horrendous mass murders in U.S. history. However, the the inconvenient truth is that he wasn't born that way. He was born just like you and I. So, so what took him from that beginning to being so filled with with hurt? And then we know that anger and rage come from a foundation of hurt and being incapable of handling that. So how did he get that way? So then I looked at his life and I found that, you know, he was very disconnected. He was isolated. He had been bullied, possibly sexually abused. He was anorexic. So that tells you, you know, how his self-esteem was and his lack of self-worth. And so there was a lot that could have been done during his lifetime that would have prevented the shooting. And so I, I do today, I created a movement. It's called the Choose Love Movement. It was a soft place to land for everyone, not just pro-gun or anti-gun, uh, whatever differences we, we think that we have. Now we're all the same in the want and need to love and be loved and to connect. We all feel pain. So here's this movement where we can all come together to be part of the solution. And we have no cost programming that spans uh, the entire lifespan for schools, homes, and communities. And by word of mouth, by the way, and referral, we're now in over 10,000 schools and 120 countries, and anyone can go on and access. This was so important to me because when I looked into the science, by the way, the considerable science behind the benefits of teaching children these essential life skills, it was mind-boggling. And I couldn't believe that over 90% of the schools didn't have this. And Sandy Hook Elementary School had purchased a program that was very expensive, but they didn't have enough money to train the teachers. And therefore, I was told, literally, uh, and I'm using air quotes right now, it never got out of the box. And so I thought, wow, our kids deserve more. Our teachers deserve more. We know that this is the direct path to flourishing. Everyone deserves these essential life skills that put you on a path to thriving, that enable you to, to handle the pain that we know is going to come your way and some that we don't anticipate. And so I, I created this program. I, I want everyone to have access to it. But it goes back to Pastor Mason, you know, this feeling of, personal responsibility. And 
directly after the tragedy, I would say, you know, I took my part of the responsibility for what happened to my son in my community. And my parents cringed at that, by the way. Hmm. Uh, So many people cringed at that and said, why would you say that? You never met the shooter. You just sent your kid to school. It's not your responsibility. And I said, you know what? You know what? Here's the thing. I think sometimes we wait for people to come in and fix things for us. I don't know how that's worked for you, Pastor Mason, but that's never worked for me. We feel some sort of satisfaction in being outraged, and it seems easier to point a finger and, and be a victim and throw your hands up than it does to say, you know what? This is my world. I live in it. This is my community. I am going to be responsible not only for what happened, but for what happened, even if it's a tragedy. And I'm going to do something to, to fix it. And you know what? That, that, that initial step felt so empowering. It felt so good. I think sometimes we think it's easier not to take that step. But when you say, you know what? I am responsible for my community. I'm responsible for my kids. By the way, you're responsible for their safety when you send them to school. I learned that the hard way. Um, Then, and you take that initial step, it feels really empowering. And then you take the next step. And then you're no longer a victim. You are doing something to be part of the solution. You know, one of the things um, I make it a habit of doing is calling the school every now and again, just to ask them how my 11-year-old is doing, not just with academics and and extracurriculars, but what are his social skills like? And and I'll tell you why, because we all have been to elementary school and, and, and junior high and high. We know those kids who are looked upon as outcasts or who are looked upon as strange. And when we think about the profile of most of these shooters, those are the ones. Those are the ones that didn't have friends in school, that didn't play sports, that weren't popular with the girls, that were teased by everybody. I make it a habit of asking, does my son interact well with the other students at lunchtime is he sitting with the other kids is he having conversations you know it seems so simple but yet so many of us miss this and the schools aren't looking at it because let's face it most of our teachers are underpaid and and underappreciated so they're just trying to get through the day but i think what you're trying to say is we got to pay attention to the small things that are really big things in reality we have to start taking responsibility for our children's safety. It's, it's our responsibility. And we do have to start getting involved. I, I know as a single mom, that's not an easy task. You know, I was at work all day long. And then I, you know, had a little bit of time with my kids in the morning and a little in the evening. I was tired. But, you know, you have one life. and And you are responsible at the end of the day. You, you do have to get involved. And, and you're so right. I mean, when this last shooting happened in Highland Park, I turned to the person I was sitting next to and I said, I can tell you the exact history of that shooter. I already know it. That's I don't right. have to wait for it to come out in the paper. I already know. And we have to start, we have to start being responsible for each other. You know, they're teaching our kids as well to be compassionate to care for one another. We are only a civilized society because we care for one another and we trust one another. That's the only way that we keep it together. And we're going to have to teach that. And, you know, people say, well, parents do teach that. Well, yes, some do and and some don't. Uh, and the skills and tools I'm talking about, um, the like how to have healthy relationships, how to manage your emotions, self-awareness, self-regulation, how to make responsible decisions, and more. These are, interestingly, skills and tools we're not born with. So we actually have to learn them. And yes, 
You can learn them at home. Best case scenario, you learn these at home. But we know now that they must, absolutely must, be reinforced and practiced at school. And by the way, some kids don't learn those skills and tools. And and I will hold myself up as an example, because while I was researching, you know, what's something that we can do? Let's, I'm not going to go down the same path that hasn't worked for us. Obviously, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result is the definition of crazy. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do it a different way. When we're focusing on these issues, we're focusing on school violence. We're focusing on mental illness. We're focusing on the drug problem. We're focusing on the gun problem. What's happened to all of those issues? They've increased. And I'm not saying don't address the problems. They're there. There are fires that we have to burn out. But until we take some of our resources, I'm talking about time, energy, and money, and start focusing on the root cause, these issues are going to continue to escalate unabated as they have. We have to address the root cause. There is no magic pill. You're right. Um, we think that you know, this, this gun control legislation, ah, we need to pass it because then that's going to fix everything. I'm here to tell you it's not. That's right. Highland Park, Illinois, has those gun laws in place already. <laughs> and that did not stop the shooting on July 4th. So there is no magic pill. I, 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 I hate to break it to people. We're going to have to do the work. And the work means addressing the root cause and teaching our kids these essential life skills and brushing up on them ourselves, too. By the way, I was a parent without these essential life skills. I, I, I learned about them and I thought, wow, these are things that I didn't learn at home. I didn't learn. I have a college degree. I didn't learn all the way in my education through college. I didn't learn at work. And I learned at 44 years old after my six-year-old son's murder. Without his murder, I probably wouldn't know them today, except that I was desperate for a solution. And so I've learned these skills and tools as an adult. My life is exponentially better, um, not for the loss of my child. I'd give everything back for one more second with Jesse. Unfortunately, that's not going to happen. But I can tell you that that with these skills and tools, I've been able to manage my grief uh, better than I would have. I've been better able to manage my anger and, and my entire life, everything in my life. And, and these skills and tools can be learned by anyone, and they're, they've now been spread everywhere. We, we have a prison program. We have uh, programming for communities, for families for governmental agencies, for police departments. Uh, there's, there, it's for everyone. And it's so vitally important. We're going to have to change the way we think a little bit and be willing to do the hard work and take responsibility for what's going on in our world. This is our world. We need to take responsibility for it. You're listening to Philly's Favor 100.7 FM and 99.5 HD3. We are talking to Miss Scarlett Lewis. She is the mother of young Jesse Lewis, one of the young men that was murdered at Sandy Hook back in 2012. Uh, I admire Miss Lewis. She has started a program called the Choose Love Movement. Uh, where she is efforting to make sure that people are taught the type of life skills necessary so that they don't grow up to become these mass shooters. As she said earlier, we can pretty much, when we hear about a mass shooting, give you the profile of the shooter. We, we know who the person is. Uh, and so it's about taking personal responsibility and accountability for our children to make sure that they can grow up and live productive and healthy lives emotionally and physically. Uh, uh, Miss Lewis, do me a favor. First of all, congratulations. I know the program is in over 10,000 schools. It's in a many foreign countries. Talk to us about how our listeners can find out more about your program. Absolutely. Everyone can go to the website. It's chooselovemovement.org. And you can register and have access to all of our programming, regardless of what you're doing. Um, please go on the website and check it out. If you have kids in school, make sure that they have a comprehensive program like this. It's so vitally important. It could, it could be their life. 
Well, listen, I, I want to thank you so much, Miss Lewis, for coming on our show today and talking to our listeners. You know, as I was prepping for the interview, it was hard for me to believe that Sandy Hook was almost 10 years ago. And I'm sure for you as a parent, of one of the young people that was murdered, I'm sure it doesn't feel like 10 years. It probably feels just like yesterday. And and I understand it, but I want to thank you for taking your grief uh, and redirecting it into a program and an initiative that can help millions. Ma'am, I've said it three times during this interview. I admire you. I thank you. And one more time before we depart, if you could just give our listeners the website again, we just want to make sure we get it out here. We're going to also put it up on all of our social media platforms. Well, thank you so much, Pastor Mason. Thank you for what you do, the messages that you put out. Thank you for helping spread the word about the Choose Love Movement. You can go to our website, chooselovemovement.org. You can take the pledge. You can sign up, please. Let your schools know about this. Bring it into your home. Practice it. There's a powerful formula that can help you get in between what's happening in your life, regardless of what that is, and your thoughtful response and help you choose love. I don't know about you, but that's a world that I want to live in where people choose love. We literally can create the world that we want to live in that is safer, more peaceful, and loving. So I I encourage everyone to, to do that. Thank you, uh, Pastor Mason. You absolutely choose love. And, you know, we're all in this together. We are stronger together. And, you know, every, every positive movement forward feels really good. You're doing your part to be part of the solution. And it's come down to the fact that this is necessary right now. We actually have to do this. So uh, once you do it, you, you feel really good. You're setting a, an example for your children. You're role modeling for them what personal responsibility looks like. By the way, your kids are looking at you every day, all day long. They see everything that you do, and they are watching and learning with everything that you do. So just that awareness can help you rise to the occasion and be the best version of yourself There's so much that we can do. It's all on the website, chooselovemovement.org. I really encourage everyone to dig in. And please, please help me spread the message of this powerful program. It's no cost. We have prenatal. We have infant toddler for daycares and and new parents, pre-K through 12th grade. We have programming for the home and community. Some communities across the country are in their third year of choosing love as communities. It's really a powerful movement and and a place where everyone can come together despite the differences that we may have. We can come together with love. Amen and amen. Miss Scarlett Lewis, thank you so much for joining us in the pastor's office, and we hope and pray to talk to you again real, real soon. Continue your ministry, ma'am. God bless you. Thank you so much, Pastor Mason. Son.